Good morning, family. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this day, for this, your Laity Sunday. We thank you for these, your meta-faith followers. We pray for your guidance in helping us to grow our community of faith. Continue to keep us, guide us, lead us. In your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Mm. As, as my brother Jimmy said, our theme for this Laity Sunday is rise up and reveal God's grace. Now, Laity Sunday celebrates the ministry of all Christians and challenges us to love God and our neighbor. As we grow in grace to become what is defined as meta-faith disciples in community, we gather with others and connect everyone to God's love in Jesus Christ. So on this Laity Sunday, we continue to lift up the vocation of all to follow the way of Jesus and lead others to him as we rediscover practices of togetherness that reveal God's desire for us to not only live together in communities, but to fellowship with one another in those same community, communities. Laity Sunday is a day set aside to remember and lift up what we define as a 24-7 reality, the ministry of us all, which is to go and make disciples of Christ. Every person is invited to participate in the community of healing, love, justice, and of world transformation. This year, the emphasis is on meta-discipleship as covenant. The word meta meaning being among, accompanying closely, and taking along with the very life of Jesus in and among us, gathered and responsive to the nearness of God. God is near and here to help every life, every place in our communities that are in need of his grace. Perhaps we need a better understanding of how what we do as Christians and how it affects the world around us. What we do with our matter or being proximate matters. Let me explain. One of my favorite speakers is a guy by the name of Brian Stevenson. Brian went to college and studied philosophy. As he was approaching graduation, he realized that no one was going to pay him to just philosophize. He knew he wanted to help people, but wasn't sure of what that was or how it should look. Like many of us, he experimented with different, several different areas and came to decide on law school. As an attorney, Stevenson focused his attention on those people that society saw as less than the marginalized, and the vulnerable. What he learned is that in order to truly affect change for this group of people, he had to take on this theory he called the power of being proximate. This theory of being proximate says that those of us who are in a position in society to help the marginalized must be close enough to affect change in their lives. We have to be proximate. Stevenson believes that when we isolate ourselves, when we allow ourselves to be shielded and disconnected 
from those who are marginalized and disfavored, we actually help sustain and contribute to these problems. The belief is, even if you don't have an answer for their problem, the community still needs to be proximate to the vulnerable. It is this belief that answers to problems come when you're in the environment of need than when you're isolated in your own community. In this case, the community is the church. So what happens when our ministries at this church are not proximate? Those who are not brought into our Christian communities continue to suffer as the marginalized in our society. I believe the reason why we struggle so is that we don't see ourselves and our ministries as being truly connected to the problems of the marginalized, the vulnerable. Let me give you a few examples of what happens when we are not proximate to the vulnerable and marginalized, when we don't make the effort to include them in our meta-faith community. <clears throat> in 1972, there were 300,000 people incarcerated in the United States. Today, there are some 2.3 million people. We represent 5% of the world's population, yet we represent 25% of the world's incarcerated, people who live in the margins of society, proximate. The Bureau of Justice now predicts that one in three black male babies born in the U.S. will go to jail in his lifetime. This wasn't true in the 20th century. This wasn't even true in the 19th century but it's true in the 21st century, proximate. The statistics for Latino boys are not much better. One in six will go to jail in his lifetime, proximate. The outlook isn't much better for women. Over the last quarter century, the number of women going to jail has increased 647%. Of those women, 70% are single mothers with minor children, which means when these women go to jail, the lives of these children are disrupted. You're dramatically more likely to end up in jail if you're one of these children, proximate. Collective attention to the lives of others gathers us to places and people where grace is already at work, bringing new life to all. The meta-faith in Christ is the way we recognize, acknowledge, and respond to God's calling of closeness for the life of the world by being with, near, and among all those whom Jesus loves. You see, there is no us and them. In God's meta-faith, the us always includes those we think of as them. Even when we want to do the right thing, you know that thing that God has called us to do, there's always doubt, both individually and collectively. Do I or we have what it takes to accomplish what God has destined me or us to do? Whenever I'm bothered by this question, I think about the people God used in the Bible to do his will. I think about Abraham. The man God chose to be the father of a great nation, 
Abraham was too old to have children, yet God blessed him and his wife Sarah with a child when Abraham reached the ripe old age of 100. I think about David, the little shepherd boy who defeated the Philistine giant Goliath and eventually became king of Israel. David was both an adulterer and murderer. Not only did God choose David for these duties, David is also in the bloodline of Jesus, with the Messiah often referred to as the son of David. I think about Moses. As you know, Moses is who God chose to lead the Israelites out of their bondage in Egypt. In doing this, he had several conversations with Pharaoh. Yet what many of you might not know is Moses had a speech problem. God did not restrict his use of questionable people to just men either. There was Rahab, a prostitute who God used to hide the Israelite spies in the town of Jericho. Rahab is also in the bloodline of Jesus. And there are so many others. Elijah was suicidal. Gideon was afraid. Samson was a womanizer. Noah was a drunk. Jacob was a cheater. And Jonah ran from God. And Paul, a Pharisee who persecuted Christians before becoming perhaps the greatest evangelist for Christianity and was ultimately persecuted himself. Now, I'm sure God has already used you in some way and will continue to do so. When he calls on you to do those things God has destined you to do, instead of, instead of asking God, are you sure you have the right one, just remember this. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. One of the most anticipated sequels to a movie is that of the Black Panther. Many of us, I know I am, are waiting anxiously to see where the new movie storyline takes us. It is especially interesting because the person who played the Black Panther in the first movie is no longer with us. A young brother by the name of Chadwick Bozeman of Anderson, South Carolina. May he rest in peace. The movie is set in a fictional country called Wakanda. In the first movie, there's a scene where the main character, the Black Panther, is struggling with the loss of his father, who was king. Not only does he have to deal with the grief of losing his father, he also has to deal with the fact that he now must assume the awesome responsibility of becoming king. Although he does not shy away from this responsibility, yes, he still has doubt. There are four tribes within the Wakandan country, three of whom who live together in harmony. The fourth tribe lives separate from the other. There is a scene where the Black Panther is being crowned the new king. In that scene, each tribe can choose to challenge for the throne. The fourth tribe shows up to do so. During the fight scene, the challenger starts to get the best of the Black Panther. The crowd who had been cheering enthusiastically for the Black Panther starts to shift to a quiet moan, much like we do when our favorite sports teams start to lose and doubt creeps in. But in the midst of all the noise around him, the Black Panther hears one voice, his mother's, saying, show them 
who you are. As movies go, the Black Panther fights back and defeats the challenger. When all around him began to doubt him, the Black Panther was able to find strength and inspiration in a single voice, all while being encouraged and lifted up by his tribe, his community. As King, the Black Panther moves from that experience to addressing a group of world leaders. He tells them that Wakanda would now be sharing their knowledge and resources. He goes on to say that we are all brothers and sisters on this earth and that the illusion of division threatens the very world's existence. He calls them on the point that more connects us than separates us and that the wise build bridges while the foolish build barriers. He goes on to say that we must find a way to look after one another as if we were one single tribe. This is what I believe God wants for us, to go out into our communities and make them a part of our tribe, our community of saints. Silver Hill, we will be faced with similar tests of adversity on our new journey, whatever that is. Be quiet, stand still, and listen for God's voice, for our instruction. Then let us proceed to show them who we are. The Bible teaches us that Christians must come together to support one another in worship. In the book of Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy, instructing him to take care of the church at Ephesus while Paul went to Macedonia. When Paul realized his return to Ephesus was questionable, he charged Timothy with keeping the church together. For Timothy, the guard against false teachings affecting its members. And so it is, my brothers and sisters in Christ, let us be reminded of God's word for us. In Philippians 4th chapter, 8th verse, Finally, my brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is beautiful, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Wherever you choose to work in your matter of faith, always, always, Silver Hill, remember to show them who you are. Thank you for your time.